Episode number 193. I'm your host Aditya, and along with me, I have Abhishek. Hello, everyone. Good morning, and this is the only time that you might see the two of us cheerful in this episode because we've got some bad news for you, a few of them at least. And from all over the world, that too. Right from Mount Everest to the Crimean Peninsula, we've got bad news across the world. While preparing for the topics itself, we had a couple of more things listed. and it just got me down man some 100 odd school girls being kidnapped in nigeria a journalist being shot in afghanistan who was a pulitzer prize winning journalist in italy you have silvio berlusconi who was pardoned of all his sins and was given just a couple of days of community service in south africa the president has been charged of using 24 million dollars to fly his private jets and there have been more gruesome news a bomb went off in islamabad for the first time since 2008 and taliban they have called off the ceasefire and someone named a library public library as osama bin laden library in pakistan and these were the topics that we were initially going to talk about yeah and we have cut them down and also we must say that in no way we are going to be you know so called having first hand insights or opinions <laughs> about these places we never because <laughs> we never yeah. no but about election etc we have opinions we are living through it so let's start off with the first sad news the worst ever accident in the history of everest mountaineering happened 6:30 am in the morning on the south side of everest where an avalanche basically killed 16 sherpas and it happened in the khumbu icefall area which is between everest base camp and camp 1 and this avalanche was a bunch of apartment size blocks of ice falling along the west shoulder Kumbu icefall is more like you are playing a game of Russian roulette when you are passing that area because like you have a waterfall Kumbu icefall is known to be an icefall wherein you are expected to see chunks of ice falling down but you hope that it doesn't happen during the climbing season it, it happens regularly across the year but you keep your fingers crossed and you want to travel that area quickly enough so that you are away from danger and there is no other route that you can take to get to the top there are a couple of them apparently but they are too treacherous for climbers who are inexperienced to travel that route so these sherpas what they do up there is before every season begins their job is to lay down the ropes have the ladders in place so these are the guys who get up in the morning before the sun hits the glaciers and they hope that avalanche doesn't happen during the night which unfortunately did this time so each time a sherpa goes there they are risking their lives and they've got to do this multiple times and like the climbers they go up and they come back once to the base camp to acclimatize but these sherpas have to go up to camp 1 set up the ropes ladders then go up to camp 2 put all the tents there come back to base camp then do it all over again so that they can carry the supplies like mattresses fuel cooking equipment a camp 3 and they keep doing that multiple times that's why it's not surprising that you know there are more sherpas who die than these climbers yeah because they say that a paying climber passes through the khumbu area only around 6 to 8 times while climbing mount everest but a sherpa actually makes it throughout the entire season at least 30 to 40 times wow. so they have given good statistics national geographic has prepared good statistics they say that a paying climber is more likely to die during the final ascent whereas a sherpa is more likely to die in the khumbu area 
which is what happened and that's why as you were saying the climb is usually done during the night with headlamps which is between 2 am and 5 am this is when the ice blocks are more stable and avalanches are least likely because din nahi hai and what a place to be in right no communication one of the sherpas who was interviewed in the hospital he said that there was nowhere to escape if it were an open field we could have dropped the baggage and we could have run but he was faced with this situation where the snow all around them could have easily fallen if you stepped over it so we were helpless so you you got to stand there and wait for the avalanche to do its thing and that's their daily risk that they take when they go up there yeah this time it all came down they say that typically avalanches happen and they run and jump behind a huge boulder of ice and they let it pass but this time there was just nothing that they could do and mark jenkins who is a climber for national geographic and he writes for them he was saying that the sherpa community they are meant for climbing their bodies are genetically adapted to high altitudes they're stronger faster they're naturally fitter above 23000 feet you know where most of us and western climbers even climbers i'm not saying us they need oxygen cylinders these guys don't need that but this time it just all came down and there was nothing that they could do and the nepal government has responded they've offered 40000 rupees or 408 dollars as compensation for families of the dead well no but they have also have an association where 4 lakh rupees is given so far it was 4 lakh rupees but it was just increased this last season to 10 lakh rupees to any sherpa who passes away but let's see if that happens because there are also reports that it is one of the most corrupt operations in nepal and in the article which is written by mark jenkins he says that nepal as such is a failed state right now and they are charging a lot of money but they are not reinvesting any into the everest rehabilitation they charge 4000 dollars as deposit for every climber and there is just a mad rush on the everest in 2012 they made 12 million dollars from these climber fees out of which 4 million were actually made by the government yes there is a government issued permit for which every climber has to pay up to 11000 dollars yeah there are some low cost operators also like in any business all these sophisticated operations they typically pair one sherpa with one climber and since all the work is done by the sherpas we don't want to make it sound like sherpas are being forced into it or anything like that because you know i think nepal ka average income is pretty similar to india 1000 dollars a year or something like that and the sherpas they can make 5 to 6000 in 3 months which is a climbing season which starts in april so it's not that they are being forced into it but there are obvious risks that they are taking oh yes and you mentioned the low cost operators or see if you and me have a lot of money and we want to climb everest and we haven't climbed other 8000 meter peaks and we show up there just because we have the money and we think we have the right to climb everest these western operators can say no to you because they don't want their client dying up on the slopes and most of them mark jenkins also writes that most of them are arrogant there was one canadian woman Uh, who passed away in spite of having been told by her sherpa to you know turn back to go back because, yeah because they said that look if the time taken to do between camp 1 and camp 2 if you're taking twice as much time that means the sherpas are intelligent enough to know that you will not be able to make it to the summit so this lady did go to the summit and there are some 68 people who have died on their way back from the summit and so yet yeah, anyway sorry to digress but the point being that these low cost operators then 
take on these inexperienced climbers by charging them as much as you know thirty thousand dollars when these western operators can charge up to sixty five to seventy thousand dollars and sometimes hundred thousand so then you have fewer sherpas on your team client sherpa ratio is skewed and the sherpas have to do a little more grunt work and i'm sure they don't get paid any more marginally more maybe but it's the low cost guys who make a lot of money there and it's it's very unregulated so most of the stories also you know say that the everest actually doesn't kill them but it is a climbers hubris which gets them killed either they disregard the sherpa or they are just unfit yes. to climb and they say that more than half of the people who are climbing these days are unfit to be climbing wow. everest that's a big which, number which was a big number right the authorities in nepal have now instituted that beginning this season they were going to ask each climber to bring down 8 kgs of litter that is garbage from the everest because everest was just getting dirty because there are just so many people going up there that they are unable to keep sanitation up going up there they say that you know human excrements are just skewed all over the place especially on camp 1 and camp 2 they were going to enforce a rule by which any climber coming down from everest has to get 8 kgs of litter or lose their deposit which is 4000 dollars yes and you spoke about human excrement incidentally at that altitude this human waste doesn't decompose plus it is laced with a lot of steroids that the climbers take while oh. they are going up on those climbs which when the glaciers melt this excrement is taken down at the low levels low lands like the khumbu valley or the base camp and the likes and there is this big problem of water contamination down at in the villages that's just one among the many problems and then there are some 200 odd corpses which are still there and you can't get those uh, dead bodies down because it's like a slab of ice you can't do anything you just have to have a cremation like you have burial at sea they need to just yeah. they're trying to figure out can there be a place where you can have quarantine dead bodies up on the slopes because you can't really get them down like you you need eight people to get one body down that's not going to happen <laughs> yeah so just to put this population explosion on average in perspective you know in 1963 there were only six people that reached the top of the everest in 2012 more than 500 people were at the summit oh in 2012 there was a line like you have for a ticketing counter for railway ticket that you have to purchase there was a line at the summit of 200 people three of them died mark jenkins himself in 2012 yeah he spent 2 hours standing there <laughs> Yeah, I had a chance to talk to him for a short piece that I was doing for the Economist, and he said that I couldn't even get to the summit because oh, wow. because he couldn't get to the summit. There were just too many people out there. So you take a gamble whether you want to have that memory of having climbed the Mount Everest, or do you want to tell it to the grandchildren also? You got to come back down. And most probably there are very few good weather days. and it just happened on that particular day that everyone came there because it was nice weather excellent weather was there 232 climbers made it to the top on a single day in may 2012 that's a world record nobody has ever done that before on mount everest the, the roof up there and <laughs> and in 1970s they only had one permit one expedition could go up there 
Nepal government hadn't opened its borders in the early 90s it all opened up and the sad part is that just like the Indian government there is a lot of corruption there too but Mount Everest man Nepal has some eight of the tallest 14 peaks in the world and Mount Everest bears the biggest brunt some 80% of the traffic is there and the rest of the peaks are neglected they're trying to lease out you know they're trying to lease out these peaks to private operators so they can sell tickets to tourists so <laughs> that they can visit them too so they are getting into some desperate action this year they said that they will have a to and fro rope across the whole stretch they said that they will install a ladder right up on the hillary step oh, which wow, is the okay. last 40 meter which is especially grueling for an average mountaineer they're trying to do something about it because what happens is there it's a one way traffic so they're trying to make it a two way thing they shouldn't be doing all those sort of things you know it kills the joy and the challenge of mountaineering huh yeah absolutely i think they need to keep it difficult so that it doesn't become that i can directly fly in a helicopter to base camp and from there in a week mm. or two weeks time i'm at everest in fact they're proposing having helicopter drops above the khumbu ice falls above so that... the khumbu ice falls this yeah, time yeah. from the base camp right the base camp, to right. avoid the risk in world that's part of climbing everest it's so formidable because you are yeah. risking your life don't take it away i would say i mean it's sad that people are dying but then that's part of it in fact george mallory who was the great british climber who attempted it first and he was asked in the 1920s by a journal american journalist you know why do you want to do this why would you want to attempt climbing mount everest he said because it's there because that's, it's <laughs> that's considered to be three of the most important words in mountaineering this was back in 1922 that was the first serious attempt to climb the everest and then it was not until 1953 when tenjing norge and hillary edmund hillary they actually scaled so it took a long time a 30 year gap yes and in that team of six hillary and norge they weren't the first choice there were two others so it was like a plan right so th- if these two fail that the next two will be sent in that team so the other two i think it was george love and they almost made it they were at 200 feet distance from the summit but they calculated that they wouldn't have had enough oxygen to get back down so they had to go back and george low was the best friend of ed hillary and he passed on all the information to ed hillary saying that boss this is the route this is the place where it gets tricky and you got to do this you got to do that with a big heart and that helped and these guys actually made it to the top they spent 15 minutes they came down and on their way back edmund hillary is supposed to have quipped to his friends that we'd knock the bastard off bulgin uh. so when, when they were saying finally finally we've we've done it carpe diem as they call it seize the day But the garbage situation is not as bad apparently. There is one bloke called Dawa Steven Sherpa. He's been running an expedition and since 2008 and he's carted down 15 tons of garbage from Mount Everest and each year his Sherpas bring down lesser garbage than the year before. He pays them $1 which is 100 Nepali rupees for every kg that the Sherpa brings down. And he says that I just have to dig into my profits because he also does those guided climbs for wealthy climbers. garbage that he's been excavating is that of the 1960s he found recently he found a tin can of <laughs> 1970 1972 of campbell and what happens is these glaciers move and melt yeah. every year so it keeps spitting out new garbage and as an old garbage which becomes new because you're seeing it for the first time absolutely and sagarmatha pollution control committee is in charge of the it's like the everest city council is in charge of keeping the everest clean now and it is the one that is administrating this waste removal program but now after this whole tragedy that has happened it is uncertain whether the season is going to continue this year you know a contingent of sherpas they are planning on going and they will be meeting the nepal's ministry of tourism 
to basically discuss financial compensation for those who died let's move from everest right down to sea level and let's start talking about the crimea crisis that happened the russian president vladimir putin he decided to send in russian troops into ukraine and seize control of crimea and that's how we all know there is a place called crimea yes it's a little peninsula which has a russian speaking majority uh, and it was part of russia until it, in 1954 it's very surprising right until 60 years ago it was part of russia and then the soviet leader this is pre russia soviet leader out there that time nikita khrushchev in 1954 handed it over to ukraine and then when the soviet union was kya bolte dissolved as such crimea went to ukraine i mean let's go into it what is the importance of crimea and all the sort of things yes they started back in uh, december last year when their president viktor yanukovych he he wanted to turn his back on europe so ukraine wanted to have closer ties with europe but he was against it and he was pro moscow pro putin and pro russia and so he was outsted i mean he was basically impeached yeah they came to know basically about the massive amount of corruption and they found a lot of money in the presidential quarters etc so he was impeached he fled to russia and then putin is uh, he just took a decision to send his troops to crimea not just that he's got his troops now in eastern ukraine too and he denies that it is his people the the biggest <laughs> problem today is they don't know even the bbc correspondents on the ground cannot tell for sure whether it's the local people of ukraine who are guarding the buildings the public buildings today or whether it's the russian troops in most of the stories that i read it said masked gunmen exactly the economist writes unidentified well equipped soldiers led many of these occupation russia denies that the little green men are from you know russia i doubt they are little though <laughs> anything but anything but i was very interested as to why this piece of land is so important to russia right because of the huge naval base that they have in sevastopol which is strategic for them to get access to black sea and the black sea fleet that russia has is one of the largest fleets and apparently the black sea fleet has been there since 1783 to be precise and this fleet was the one that helped them defeat georgia when the war happened in 2008 and it it still remains crucial to maintain their importance in the region yes and so what they did they arranged a hasty what is called as a referendum and they said that look 97% of the people here have voted in favor of russia so it has to become part of russia and then the world says that it was a bogus one because crimea does not only have russians it has it it has muslims from the native turk let me read that the native tatar Tata. Yeah, the Tatars. Yes, that that forms thirteen percent of the total population. Ukrainians have another twenty percent of the population, and they have all boycotted the referendum. But Russia said nothing doing. And the irony is, Crimea is in a place, even though it is owned by Russia. To get there, you need to pass through Ukraine. So Russia is planning to have a bridge that passes through the country, so that <laughs> you can you can have direct access to Russia. They are going to do that eventually. Absolutely. And now, why is it that this is being treated as as almost kya bolte incursion the reason being that in 1994 there was a treaty that was signed between russia us france uk for ukraine to give up its soviet era nuclear weapons and in exchange what these countries had promised is that they will help ukraine guard their territories 
which basically means if there is a war they will come to ukraine's help because ukraine is giving up all their nuclear weapons yes the budapest memorandum as it was called 1994 yeah the budapest memorandum and now it is being seen as russia has gone back on that particular memorandum and hence usa is also threatening to impose uh, trade sanctions on them but the initial reaction was so meek that they freezed the bank accounts and assets of some middle ranking men in in russia's parliament and one senior british parliamentarian said that how will putin change his foreign policy just because you freezed some of the bank accounts of your ministers yeah. but now they have increased the sanctions all these international money transfers you know western union and all of these are most of them are handled by the americans so if america imposes sanctions on russia it is said that because most of these wire trades internet trades that happen right america uh-huh. has a big jurisdiction there Oh. So it's not just a bilateral sanction Russia will have to face some consequences at the moment the European Union is very skeptical because they get most of their oil from Russia they would not want to antagonize them and in all of this the people of Ukraine are sandwiched the best thing for Putin would be not have sanctions imposed on him which means he will not annex ukraine you know if you annex a new country it's not just easy you've got to service that country too so it's going to be very expensive they say so he will not go up to that level but he's done enough to stall the elections that will happen on may 24th and they would rather have a president who is pro moscow than having somebody who's pro eu yeah they were going to join the eu one day and that is what they didn't want yes and putin is such a look at some of his statements man i want you to understand me clearly he said in one of the <laughs> press conferences that's how he speaks he said if we make that decision decision being the annexation of crimea during that time it will only be to protect the ukrainian citizens yeah and yeah. And, and, <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and let us see if ukrainian troops try to shoot their own people with us behind them not in the front but behind so basically he's talking about using ukrainian civilians as human shields and he can go to any lens he's always around right i thought he had retired for a while when he talks it seems like you know you don't want to mess with this guy man one of his ministers said that being sanctioned was quite an honor oh wow and everyone's talking about de-escalating the crisis this is a word that has been coming up everywhere de-escalate did you read india's comment no 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 come on i mean this is like i condemn the bombings happened in mumbai it was something equivalent what india has said that they don't support any unilateral action against any country which basically wow, means nothing ambiguous yeah. <laughs> yeah. india is like chaddi buddies with uh, russia right and half of the navy is the russian old ships from russia true you mentioned those the four countries russia ukraine eu and the us they were in geneva a few days back and they signed what is now called the geneva accord and yeah. under the deal these four that is eu russia ukraine and us they agreed that illegal armed groups would go home and this <laughs> process yeah home meaning they assumed that they are russian so they go home and this process will be overseen by europe's osce security watchdog so a neutral party and i clicked on the pdf of the geneva accord hoping to have a 700 page document it was one and a half pages long half the page was only about if you want to contact to know more it was a press release most probably but it was the agreement uh, it oh, was really? the agreement yes so it it says two things one is that let's just get it done with sign on this piece of paper so that everybody knows where we are on the same page quite literally this time and yet what happened two days back is 
Three soldiers were killed by pro-Russian supporters on a checkpoint in one of the cities in in Ukraine. So people are now saying that the armed soldiers on the ground might want to do their own thing when the orders from the top are something else altogether, which makes the whole thing a little more complex. Oh, now. wow, yeah. The Ukrainians now are in a fix. What should they do? Should they retaliate? The acting president now, who is a former prime minister and who is a presidential candidate, she, Yulia Timoshenko, she is being urging the parliament not to use force. That'll be ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. One of the reasons of her lack of confidence is that they just don't have enough people to go up against Russia. And I, I took a look at their military forces. It's like one lakh thirty-five thousand troops versus eight lakh fifty odd thousand troops. And this is only in terms of army. You have the special forces, the navy power, the air force that they have. And it's nowhere. They can't sustain a war with these guys. So how far can this go? They're saying that this will come to an end sooner because Russia doesn't want to chewing gum type nahi karne ka usko. I would say June. Yeah, maybe that's after the elections, right? That is that that are due on. Oh, I, I was actually going to say because the huh? football World Cup starts in June. <laughs> it's in in which part of the world, man? This World it, Cup, it's in Brazil, it's in right? Brazil. Yeah, yeah but yeah. Europeans, I mean Europeans, they are crazy about football. <laughs> Possibly, yes. That's going to be an interesting month, the month of June. We will talk about some football when the World yes, Cup begins. Let's do that. Uh, let's move on to the next depressing story that we have, which is about the seawall, uh, if I'm pronouncing it right, which was a ferry carrying 476 passengers. 350 of them were students from Danwon High School in Seoul, which capsized. And the death toll is now said to be around 64 with nearly 240 people still missing. The reason it is missing is because of the the lack of evacuation orders that were actually not given by the captain while captain and three members of his crew evacuated the ship themselves. It's a big, big mass movement in South Korea. Everybody is involved. The parents are blaming the captain and he has been apprehended. Yeah, they showed him on the TV, actually. Any initial orders from the captain was to stay below deck while the ship was tilting. And it was just too late by the time he gave evacuation orders. And hence, most of the dead bodies that are being found right now, they all have life jackets on them, but they were trapped inside. Very sad. It's pretty sad. Given that most of them were high school students. And in fact, after watching the news on TV... The vice principal of the school, he actually committed suicide. Oh, really? Yeah. Kang Min Gyu, the 52-year-old, he hung himself. Which is actually, once I started reading about it, it got me into a larger, what is being termed as a suicide epidemic in Korea. Because South Korea has one of the highest suicide rates in the world. It is double that of US. Not that it is a, a benchmark, but and there have been a lot of high-profile suicides also. Former South Korean president, Ru Moo Hoon, he jumped off a hill in 2009. Park Yong Oh, a well-known businessman who led the Dusan Group. Dusan Group's Group is like Tata Group almost. You know, country's oldest conglomerate, it says here. He committed suicide. Singer-actor Park Yong Ha in 2010 when he was at the height of his career you know several people from entertainment industry and all those sort of things most of them are you know attributing it to rapid industrialization and the pressure that is being put on people so south korea actually realized this problem and they attempted to deal with it you know it didn't work out as planned there is this one bridge one suicide spot called the mapo bridge that is where a, a lot of people commit suicide it was renamed to bridge of life 
all sorts of positive signs were put up on the reeling one of the signs was the most shining moment of your life has yet to come in order to you know dissuade the jumpers etc however according to the figures by wall street journal the suicide attempts have actually quadrupled wow since that thing was taken up did they seem to be at least trying to avoid this there is one country that isn't doing enough in south africa a woman is killed every 8 hours by her partner the big trial of oscar pistorius and yeah. revas tempkamp is going on right now and it is reminiscent of every family every family has at least one member who has been killed by her partner as in not family meaning family of four but close relatives and they have a word they have a phrase for that intimate partner homicide and one of them did it he got a 100 pound bail and he spent 8 months in prison and he was let off oh so this pistorius thing sounds very similar to it then yes pistorius although he claims that he shot at her mistaking her for a burglar intruder yeah intruder man it's it's amazing when you start looking at other countries there was a recent report that was released by the eu 1 in 10 women in the european union claim to have been raped I know I read that I was like what yeah imagine that so and this is on record there will be more a lot of things are going wrong and it's not that it's just happening but I don't know what it is it just feels that it's just getting worse and modi is going to fix everything exactly <laughs> <laughs> there are a few good news though in syria there were four captive French journalists who were kept in a basement for 10 months they were released they were released yeah and one of them said that he to pass time he had created a chess board by drawing it on the ground and he used cardboard to create the chess pieces and he played so that he could kill time and he was quite happy to get back to his girlfriend with whom he'll spend some time and what next for him he said i'll be going to ukraine i guess now because that's the only thing i know to do being a war correspondent he needs a life man i think so i think he need that's his life what was that movie dude the on bomb the one that won the the oscar oh, yeah, award yeah, james yeah, cameron's yeah. wife I know, I know, one. I know what which one Last you're talking about. The bomb disposal squad guy. Yeah. The the movie on it. So he locker, yeah, he, he, hurt locker, hurt yeah. locker, hurt, hurt locker. Yeah. So he he lived. Yeah, he on couldn't the give thrill. it up. he couldn't give it up yeah. yeah that's right so let's move on and uh, the last topic that we have for today is the passing away of Gabriel Garcia Marquez so i'm going to be very honest i had never heard of this guy but i should have because he is a nobel laureate 1982 nobel laureate why don't you go ahead i'm pretty sure you know a lot more than i do only marginally more from the articles that have been reading a little bit i haven't read his book called 100 years of solitude which is considered to be a game changer in the history of literature he coined what was called magical realism he didn't coin it he is considered to be the greatest colombian who ever lived and he submitted his last manuscript of that book by pawning his house and his book sold 20 million copies translated into many many languages and he kept at it he's written a bunch of them if you take a look at his titles right the titles of his novels 100 years of solitude autumn of the patriarch love in the time of cholera there is something very weird about it you spoke about magic realism i have no idea what that means we, let's do one thing right let i'm sure one of our at least one of our listeners or many of them would have read they can send us a half a minute recording of what they feel about this great author at least let's do some justice to this man and we will ah. we will put that in in our next podcast what do you think yes if you have read gabos as he was affectionately called one of gabos novels especially one of these big ones just send us a voice recording of what you thought we'll put it into our podcast brilliant idea 
Yeah, where can they mail? Is, do you have enough space on Indicast at theindicast.com or what? Absolutely. Just send oh, okay. it at Indicast at theindicast.com or just upload it onto Dropbox and send us the link. Either ways, it works. Whatever works for you. And there's, there's one more thing I was thinking we, we could do. Just, just a fun thing. We can have a segment right at the end of 15 seconds wherein we just insert a sound bite or a sound recording of any place that any of our listeners are in the world. So it could be, you know, a temple where a bell goes off or somebody feeding the pigeons in the morning or a little less cliched than that. Maybe. Oh, know, yeah, dog, I was just going to say. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. You know, you, you, you sound like Gabriel Gabo right now. <laughs> or, or maybe, you know, or maybe a factory where somebody works or, or maybe a dog lapping up water or a monk doing his thing with his dog i don't know man but just any anything so it could be yeah, like just, so what you mean is that yeah. you can capture sounds of wherever that you are right if you are sitting in front of taj mahal just say a couple of words on your mobile phone yeah. and send it to us just describe taj mahal from wherever what whatever you are seeing or it Absolutely. could be a train or it, it could, could be, be it could be a street side vendor yeah exactly you can just say that this is where i am and Absolutely. my name is so and so and put that on your phone and send it to indicast at the indicast.com and we will be sure to run it in the end it will be 5 10 seconds yeah whatever let's do that so magic realism hmm. which uses magical elements and events in otherwise ordinary and realistic situations in other words he was a bollywood writer oh that's why we need that 30 seconds from one of our listeners who knows a thing or two about <laughs> Gabriel Marquez. <laughs> so these other things that I picked up is what is magical realism was the question asked to other authors. Many of them, they said that it's just another name for fantasy fiction genre. Jean Wolfe said that magic realism is fantasy written by people who speak Spanish. Very derogatory. <laughs> Very der- uh, <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't win a Nobel, did he? This was a cheap shot. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Terry Pratchett said, magic realism is a polite way of saying you write fantasy. There's something that he did that caught the imagination of all the world, man. Whatever that is, we will know from a listener or two, hopefully. Mm. I probably won't be able to read his thing. I can't even put myself through Harry Potter movies or through Lord of the Rings movies. I mean, trees suddenly start talking, man. You, You remember the one where the whole forest basically starts walking? Yeah, that tends to happen in these books. I can't deal with that. So I stick myself to autobiographies or something. Yeah. Like Die Hard movies. A right. Die Hard movies. <laughs> or Rocky. Rocky or Rocky. Movie. Yes. <laughs> Hit me. What do you want me to do? <laughs> Fighting is all that I know. Yes. Yeah. He needs to get a life, Rocky. If fighting <laughs> is all he knows. Yes. And surprisingly, you know, one trivia about Gabo was that he never called himself, he never acknowledged himself as a novelist. He always said that I'm a journalist and I have always been a journalist and my books couldn't have been written if I weren't a journalist because all the material is taken from reality. That's a good point, isn't it? Because he kept traveling. He was a journalist all his life. He would visit these new places and maybe he would smoke a joint in the night and then just go crazy with his thoughts. (laughs) With his thoughts. I think that's what it is, man. Yeah. <laughs> now, right. not the advice that we recommend in case there are some 20-year-old writers wanting to be, become writers. Unless you need it medically. Unless you need it medically. Yes, you diplomat. <laughs> you are in Amsterdam, Colorado, California. You can go. You are licensed to go crazy, but don't. Keep it in check. Who are we to say? Anyway. Have they legalized, what do you say, recreational use of... Yeah, they have. Oh, is it? Co- Colorado, oh. as far as I know, and in Uruguay 
as in smoking a joint while watching a sunset is not illegal in Uruguay is what I read some somewhere in some article. Oh, yeah. I need to check out the UNESCO World Heritage Sites in Uruguay now then. Yes, and when you do that, send us a 10 second recording of the local sound that you record on your mobile phone. Yes. Well, that's about it on that note. Let's end this episode here. If you want to write into us or want to send an audio recording as abhishek was mentioning about your thoughts on gabo or on any other sound recordings of course they need to be relevant okay just just keep that in mind um, no no just go crazy man doesn't really matter just send send across we will we will put it in as in if it's if it's not vulgar we don't want an <laughs> exactly yeah, that, that's right? what you i meant yeah, 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 i i don't yeah. want you this is the sound of my poop falling in the western commode <laughs> no 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 or this is how i flush no no we know yeah. our listeners are better than that so don't worry about it never underestimate uh, <laughs> never underestimate people stupidity. you do exactly that no 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 not because <laughs> of stupidity just 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 to mess with someone and just you probably you, you'll probably say guess what it is play this and ask your listeners to guess what it is and in the next episode i'll tell you what I it know, is i know i <laughs> know yeah, yeah guess anyway, what it is guess what it is no guess what my friends just help us out with whatever yes. place you are in and help us with this it could be fun so let's see how it goes Don't forget to join our um, our Facebook group. Follow us on Twitter. I'm at AC Mahatre. Indicast is at Indicast. Abhishek is at Abhishek Kumar. Just search for us in on Twitter. If you have any notes for us, please drop in an email to Indicast at theindicast dot com, and both of us will get that email. In that case, that's about it. Until next time, bye bye. Bye bye.